Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. <laughs> you ain't right. Okay, if there was ever a conversation to be had between two guys who had a little something to do or more with pinning a long weekend... And yes, a daily anthem. That ain't fair. Well, let's say, I suppose we could put our name in the hat. My tune, of course, I don't have to be Meadow Monday. And my guest today with it's five o'clock somewhere. I mean, come on. He gets the whole week and I've got to wait until like Thursday at best. And then people don't like me on Mondays. It's part of the deal. As a session player, he's known and respected as one of Music City's go-to guys. He's played on over 20 number one singles, recording with such artists as Brad Paisley, Phil Vassar, Blake Shelton, Josh Turner, Jamie Johnson, Trick Pony, Bob Seger, Marty Stewart, Darius Rucker. I can go on forever. With a Grammy Award for the best country song, constantly producing some mighty fine talent, being a part of the legendary Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, which he's currently out on tour with. I mean, I can go on forever, and I'm going to do that right now with you, my friends, as we sit down finally with my man Jim Moose Brown. What's up, Jim? I'm doing great, man. Did I really do half of that stuff? No. Yeah, you did. That's <laughs> you did. You 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 are doing, still doing, which is awesome. Really good, really good stuff. All right, you're on tour with Bob Seger right now. I got to spend what about eight month, glorious months with you guys. Uh, you guys, uh, tell me real quick how how did you and Bob get to meet? And then we're gonna go back and look in the rearview mirror. But right now, I want to sort of touch on what's going on right now. Well. Uh, man, since the, probably since the 90s, Seeger's recorded his albums in Nashville. He likes to record with Nashville session guys. And uh, in 2006, he recorded a project called Face the Promise, and it was the first album he'd done in about 11 years. And I didn't play on that, but some of my session player buddies did. And uh, he was uh, about to do a tour, the tour that you were on, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And he he uh, was asking some of those session guys, hey, who's somebody who plays some keyboards, maybe a little guitar and sing? And, and thank goodness, uh, one of my friends, Brent Rowland, recommended me. And uh, so I was at the house one night, and the phone rang, completely random out of the blue, was not expected. And I said, hello. And he said, is this Moose? And I said, yeah. And he said, this is Bob Seger. And I went, yeah. <laughs> and uh, looked down at the phone, and it said, Michigan, you know. And he told me he was going to do a tour, first one he'd done in 10 years. 
and wanted to know about me. And we talked for about 45 minutes, and uh, just a super, super sweet man. Yeah. And uh, when he found out I was actually, uh, I, bo- I was born in Detroit and lived in Detroit until I was 14, he said, oh, man, you got you to gotta come up there and rehearse with us. And so I've been there ever since. Wow. Talking to Jim Moose Brown, my man Moose, as everybody calls him in Nashville. Uh, so you guys got out there. I know that uh, we spent a long time together. Are you still doing uh, the one day on and one day off? Yeah, we do. It's uh, it's it's very unlike anything. You know, I had traveled with other country artists and stuff, and I, I got off the road in 1994 just to do sessions and write songs and stuff. And, and uh, so uh, when Seeger called and we decided to, uh, he wanted me to come out and do this tour with him. Uh, they do everything completely different than, than Nashville. The band, we fly by private plane, and Bob's got his own plane, and, and most times he flies home after the show and spends the day off to rest his voice. And the band, we spend the night in the town that we play in and fly to the next city and have a night off. And so it's pretty relaxed out here, pretty relaxed space. I love it. Hey, so Jim, uh, you know, you know, so is Sean out there with you, Sean Murphy? Yeah, she's still out here. And amazing. You know, uh, her husband, Pietro, was my drummer for about, I mean, it was a lot of years. I don't know if it was a decade, but it had to be close. And actually, you know, he's from Rome, Italy, and I, I know they're not together yeah. anymore, but uh, Pietro, uh, I felt like my daughter, Cecilia, needed a real Italian godfather, and he, he became the godfather, and and uh, <laughs> it was so wild, because Sean used to cook for us, and, you know, when I was struggling from before before having first hit and going from uh independent to universal and just trying to figure my way there sean would cook for us you walk in that place and flat cook man i'm telling you man we had some of the best meals and obviously when we we'd be at the house and we'd be outside and all of a sudden we'd hear a scream and pietro goes she's warming her voice up every once in a while and she scares me every time i said oh my god something just happened to sean so, for people that don't know, Sean's got an incredible history. Obviously, an original member of the Silver Bullet Band, correct? She uh, was not there from the very, very beginning, but close on. She's and she's worked with Eric Clapton and got right. a whole bunch of different folks. And uh, incredible singer. Yeah, the girls in the band are and crazy. and cook. Yeah, well, it's special. Her cooking ability is really special. You got to tell her I said hello. I miss her. And uh, and also, Bob, you know, the funny thing is, you know, like this. So spending time watching you guys after the show uh, for, you know, like, I know it was almost 50 shows. I got to really know Bob's wife, Nita, and daughter, uh, Sam. And so when we came back to do the hoedown, it was following that tour, uh, Sam, I think, was grounded, and Anita and her sister came, and and they were all hanging on the bus, and all of a sudden, you get a call saying, Bob's bringing Sam. She's, he, even though she's grounded, she's coming, coming to the thing. And so I thought Bob was going to go, and we were about to go to the stage, and he goes, I'm coming to watch. I said, really? So he sits behind my drummer, who's new, because Rudy, my guy Rudy, couldn't make it. He got sick. So we have a new drummer, which I was going like this. That's not good. Bob's going to go, what's going on in the back back there? And so anyway... Uh, the if you've ever played the hoedown, you're way built, way up in the air, and you look down. The crowd's a mi- seems like they're a mile from you. It was hard for me to sort of connect. You know, it was a really weird scenario, and I just remember going, "I'm going to do it." So I said, "I want to thank uh, Bob Seeker for coming out and hanging." And of course, the video cameras go to him, and then I owned it. 
because he goes yeah. nice yeah. little move nice little move so sam got on stage with us and she sang and hey just really just getting to like you said what a good guy great family and is it the last are you guys really going to be done after this that's what they say you know and yeah. i you know if i believe it from anybody i would believe it bob because i know a, a couple tours ago bob's manager punch said to me we were joking around and he said man i wish bob would just say this is the final one and i could book three nights in boston and three nights here and bob doesn't want to do that you know uh he, he doesn't he's he's very uh thoughtful of his fans and he just doesn't want to take advantage of that so i believe it is the last one wow man well okay so let's start digging into you well you, you say you're from detroit and I know you're like this guy that plays all of these instruments. Besides being a great songwriter, you're very multiple. You're like a utility. You're a Swiss Army knife, sort of, I guess, is, is what a lot of my friends have called you, our friends. So <laughs> so where did it start? When did it start? Uh, well, I was born in Detroit, and I really don't have anybody in my family that was musical, except I had an uncle that played some Chet Atkins-style guitar, and he taught me some stuff. But, yeah, I just, just listened to the radio. You know, and uh, um, as a kid, I, I even as a in like five, six years old, I, I would we had a piano and I would listen to the radio and I would try to figure out the chords. You know, and mm-hmm. so uh, it's just something like a gift, I guess, that I was given. And uh, when I was about fourteen, my my parents were from Arkansas. My dad retired, and so we moved to Northeast Arkansas, the Jonesboro, and uh, which is a really great thing for me. Uh, and uh, my my cousin had a recording studio there, and he said, "Why don't you come hang out?" And then before long, I was playing on stuff, playing on local jingles, and custom mm-hmm. albums. And, and at fourteen, I just thought, "Man, if I could find a way to make a living doing this, I would be a happy, happy man." And uh, so, it's, as it turned out, that happened. That's crazy. Talking to Jim Moose Brown, you know, I love the fact. So, were you more in Jonesboro, or were you more like a? You know, uh, what what exact town did you move to in in Northeast Arkansas? It, it was Jonesboro, yeah, and uh, uh, lived my first 14 years in Detroit. And then actually, I only lived uh, six years in Jonesboro, mm-hmm. but, but it's where I finished up high school and kind of, it was some formidable years, you know, and it's where I learned a lot about music and played with different bands. And, right. And there was a cool club scene, although Jonesboro at the time was in a dry county, so yeah, I had to drive about 50 miles to playing clubs uh and my mom would would drive me to these clubs in Blyville, Arkansas and Truman and different places so I could play and she'd sit there all night and listen and drive me back so I could get up and go to school the next day you know? wow like a mother with a well-trained athlete and just you just you had a different instrument in your hand rather than a ball you had an you had a yeah, guitar or piano absolutely. Or, yeah what a difference what a, yeah. you know you look back at your mom and for for doing that uh, a parent seeing, you know, my son's going to be a lawyer or a doctor. It's a sort of a norm. I had the same situation. My parents, you know, they didn't drive me. They weren't drive, having to drive me anywhere. I had a lot of music around me. But, but ju- that just, you ever look back and go, man, what a mom. Oh, absolutely. I, I probably wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have had a chance to do all the things I've done in music if it had to been for, for her. Uh, you know, she saw in me an opportunity one to, to be successful in music, but also an opportunity to go on to bigger things and, and, and leave Jonesboro, you know, and, and, and in her mind. Jonesboro is a great town for me, but, right. but uh, she just she just had this dream for me even before I had it. But. We're talking to Jim Moose Brown. You're in a Mississippi Minute. Moms always know best. We're going to be right back. <laughs> Welcome to Mississippi. 
In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Got a call last night from Steve Azar. I'm with the man, Jim Moose Brown, out on tour with Bob Seeger, as always, since 2006. This is awesome. Uh, Moose is out on the West Coast right now. Uh, if you if you if you Googled, if it was a such thing as Googling one of the guys everybody loves in in the town of Nashville, Moose would come up. I don't know if you see Jim. I don't know if you see Brown, but I know you see Moose. <laughs> Moose, where where'd we get the nickname? Man, a long time ago, there was a a drummer, and his name was uh, Randy Hardison, and he since passed away. He passed away in two thousand two. But uh, the very first time we met in the 90s, uh, we were working for, gosh, I can't even remember her name now. It was an artist, had a, had a record deal at the time, and we both got booked to go out on, and do this gig with her in San Antonio. And so I'm up on the bus, and Randy Hardison walks up on the bus, and I said, how you doing? And he looked me up and down, and he said, uh, I'm going to call you Moose. <laughs> and, <Come on. laughs> and I I thought, who is this dumbass? But uh, we be- we became best friends, and uh, and uh, I, from that point on, I've been moose. I couldn't shake it. That's crazy. Well, again, he he was uh, he was a visionary. I'll give him that. That's for sure. Moose, you talk about uh, moving your formidable years in Arkansas. You know, I have this thing that I feel like, especially with the songwriters that we've been around and and gotten to write with, and just and gotten to be pals with. A lot of them from so many small towns in America, and but yet they have this worldly way, like you do, of saying things and uh, articulating to the masses in their own colorful, you know, colorful way—a very personal way, uh, like almost like the dialogue is their own. I mean, do you feel like? Obviously, uh, obviously, we know Detroit, Motown music. You know, we can go beyond Motown or go past it with Bob and with Kid Rock and with you know with with uh, what Eminem, Eminem, and I mean the list goes on. But do you feel like Arkansas when you say that it was important for you that you feel like maybe uh, dialect wise or anything did that help connect you as as a uh, a wordsmith maybe? Absolutely, I love characters. And uh, my dad was a character. He passed away a few years ago at 91. But, mm. uh, you know, just just uh, that's where interesting sayings come from to me. I, as a songwriter, and I'm sure you find this too, uh, you got to have your antenna up all the time. You, you, you listen to what people say and you listen for ideas, you know. Some of my best ideas have come from characters like that in small towns. My dad, I'll give you an example. I mean, uh, my dad, I remember when, when Bill Clinton and all that happened with Monica Lewinsky. I was talking to my dad on the phone, and I said, Dad, what do you think about all that? What do you think about Bill Clinton? He said, well, son, he said, you got to hand it to to the boy. He said, it ain't easy to, to corner a gal in an Oval Office. And uh, <laughs> I, I would have never thought about it that way. That's freaking hilarious, you know? <laughs> To corner a girl in an yeah. oval office. No, no, I got it. I got. I was between sips of coffee. I was trying, and I was either going to laugh then and spit it everywhere, or I was going to have to wait. So I was in the middle of a swallow. <laughs> but that's that's yeah. that old, uh, you know, uh, dumb like a fox mentality yeah. that the small town hick 
guy. You know, they find interesting ways to say stuff, and and uh, and I think that's I think that's absolutely you touched on. It. I love the fact that the you think of the two towns you grew, you grew up in such a soulful place, arguably one of the most yeah. soulful places in the world. True, truly. I mean, you think about the history, yeah. and then you move to Arkansas. And a part, and especially the whole, you know, close. You weren't too far from the Delta, from my my stretch of land, and obviously Arkansas has had incredible singer songwriters. Um, we can go to Glenn Campbell, we can go to Johnny Cash, we can go to Charlie Rich. We, I mean, the the band, Levon Helm. I mean, it's yeah. crazy the talent that's come from, and I may have missed there, but I, but that's all right. It's my show; I can miss. But I think I'm, I think I've been accurate there. But you, so yeah. Arkansas, did you go? Did you go off to college, or did you go straight to Nashville? I did not go to college. Uh, I met my wife in high school. We dated through high school and got married right after high school. If we make it to March sixth, it'll be thirty-seven years that we've been married. But uh, yeah, we just we moved to to Nashville right after high school. We got married and on her 20th birthday and uh she kind of got a job and i started working clubs and and uh, she was instrumental as well in helping me because once i got to nashville i never did anything else except for play music and, right. and i was very fortunate to do that because a lot of people had to get a job you know a regular job and uh, that's really it's really tough if you can't dedicate all your time to the music business uh it's tough to break in they they're, they're not really accepting in the early stages of outsiders, you know, mm-hmm. it's a difficult, a difficult click to, to get in. And so I was able to dedicate every bit of my time to that process. It was very helpful. I'm trying to figure out, do we know anybody in our circles or out of our circles that, that was doing it part time that it just worked out? I don't, I don't know anybody. I, everybody was all in. Yeah. For, sometimes songwriters have to do songwriting, especially is difficult. I'm very fortunate that as a musician, I can play clubs and then, Right. Got into doing sessions, and so there's there's a you know there's money that can be made there, but as a songwriter, there's not that much work, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so some people wait tables and that kind of stuff. I never had to do any of that, right. thankfully. Right. I remember one time when I before I had any hits as a songwriter, I played played the Bluebird, and uh, and during during my set, uh, one of my buddies who was, I was doing the show with said, "Hey, I want to say congratulations to the cook." He got his first cut, uh, and I thought, oh, great, I'm officially the only guy in the room who does not have a cut as a songwriter. Uh, so, yeah, even even the cooks and all that stuff, man, you know, they had to do other stuff to, to, to get it going. Okay, so I've been, I've been proved wrong once again. All right, so, Moose, you know, I love it. You've been 37 years, and I'm coming up on 30 this year. Both girls are from Arkansas. Mine's from Conway. Uh, there could be yeah. something something going on there because uh, I equally the same. My wife came and got a job in Nashville, Bell South, while I was uh, back in the beginning of the phone days. She came from Greenville doing it for a year, and uh, I met her at the University of Arkansas. Stole her off somebody's shoulders, and uh, and the rest is history. But having that support and that core, and being able to do it full time, well, there's I, I needed every inch of that time. If I would have, yeah, there's no way that I could have done anything else, I'd still be trying, you know, to, to have something. And I'm, I'm stubborn enough to still be trying. That's, that's a, a character flaw of mine. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but the bottom line is, yeah, man, you, when you talk about our brides, man, it's, it's, uh, it was integral and still, still to this day is. And we have friends that have been married three and four times. I'm like going like, are we about to go to another, we can't go to another wedding. We just went to one. You just had one. You know, it's like, I'm getting married. Like, woo. And I'm like, what? <laughs> 
are we supposed to are we supposed to get excited again you know but it's not easy and 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 to their credit it's not easy we we stumbled across it through the grace of god because that's what it is and i know that we are we were blessed in that regard and i'm thankful for that so we're talking to my man jim moose brown he's on tour with bob seger right now all right moosey when's your first cut when does it happen my very first cut was a martina mcbride cut all right. And I had just signed with Seagale Music Publishing in Nashville. And about, uh, you know, I'd only been writing songs for probably a year because uh, I, I, I kind of backed into the whole songwriting thing. I was, as a session player, I started uh, writing with songwriters that I would play on their demo sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I'd signed this publishing deal. And about three weeks later, I got a Martina McBride cut for her greatest hits. And I thought, man, I don't know what all, all the hubbub's about. This songwriting thing's a piece of cake. <laughs> And, uh, well, the song didn't, it ended up that she cut it, but it didn't make the record. And uh, actually, the first six songs that I got recorded fell apart like that. Either the song didn't make the project or the artist lost the record deal before the album came out. And uh, I jokingly say it got to the point where if somebody showed interest in one of my songs, I'd just go ahead and get mad right then. (laughs) Uh, But the very first one that saw the light of day was 5 o'clock somewhere. Are you kidding uh, yeah. And, and what is that? I don't know what you're talking about, 5 o'clock. You know, I don't want to talk to you right now about 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Yours is every day. Monday, you know, like well, I said, I, Thursday through Sunday. After that, people hate me for three days. But you, you're never hated. You're loved all week. <laughs> you're loved all week. That's wow. been a pretty incredible thing. And I forget about it sometimes, you know, because as songwriters, you can't, you got to go on to the next thing. No, you know, and, no. And so, uh, you know, I'll be on vacation down in Florida or something. I'll hear a band play it or whatever. Or I went to Vegas one time and, and uh, at Margaritaville Hotel there, the, the name of the club is just somewhere. We were just walking around <laughs> Vegas. I had no idea. I walked up and I went, now that's pretty cool. That's that's pretty cool right there, you know. Did you call your lawyer uh, immediately? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I figure uh, you got to pick your battles. Jimmy yeah. Buffett is not one of the battles I want to have. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, Jimmy Buffett's. A, uh, you know what? It's it's been a he's a a genuinely nice man, and I think he was very appreciative of all that because uh, although he's a very 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 successful artist and songwriter marketer, uh, he he never had any real uh, industry recognition really, and yeah. uh, that was the first number one song he'd ever been a part of he was very nice to me oh i love it we're going to talk more about that after the break but since you brought up buffett you know mississippi is the birthplace of american music and you get to play dj from all the way across the country in california so would you like to hear i'm gonna let me think about this i'm gonna say albert king or jimmy buffett Ooh. <laughs> both equally great both totally different uh uh, man, that's opinion. tough. Uh, you couldn't go wrong with either one. Well, you can't. That's not the Albert answer. King. You can't take. That's not an answer. <laughs> All right, well, let's hear some Albert King because I, I love some Albert King. All right, that's a done deal. You threw a curveball at me. I'm Steve Azar. I'm with my man Jim Moose Brown. Incredibly talented, talented man. One of Nashville's favorite sons. And uh, you're the Mississippi Minute. We're gonna be right back. I 
Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sun is hot and that old clock is moving slow, and so am I. I'm back with my man Jim Moose Brown, everybody, in your cars, at work, uh, wherever you're listening, if you're uh, taking a walk, listening to the podcast, uh, you got to check out Jim. You got to go Google him and just you're just going to love him, but uh, even more. But uh, we're going to we're going to try to hone in on as much as possible with his life and his success story. And and it's just an amazing road trip that he's on. And uh, I'm glad he could be a part of Mississippi Minute. Jimbo, let's talk about the inspiration for five o'clock somewhere, because, you know, everybody wants to know about songs. But this is such a special one. You know, give take me take me from the morning of or where you were, what stoplight. Give I mean, I want the dirty details. Well, you know what? As as a songwriter, what a lot of people don't realize is you don't you don't uh, necessarily wait for inspiration. Uh, when you have a publishing deal, you go in every day, and it's like an office job. You book you book time either to write by yourself or for me, almost all the time, I like to co-write. And so I set up co-writing appointments and, uh, you know, three, four, five days a week go in and just like office hours, you know. Sometimes you have ideas, sometimes you don't. And uh, so uh, I had run into a record producer in Nashville, and uh, he said, man, I got this artist I'm producing on Sony, and we're looking for a fun summertime song. If you got any, if you got anything, send it to me. You know, we're looking for a single. And the very next day, I was writing with a buddy of mine named Don Rollins, and I told him that. And he said, well, I got this idea. Uh, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. And, uh, and, I, and I thought for a second, I thought, man, surely that's been written. I've heard that saying whole life. <laughs> and uh, I, I, when I thought about it, I couldn't think of a song that had been written with that title. So wow. we wrote it really quickly. I mean, it was we, we started at probably 10.30, and I bet we were done by 12.30. Yeah. And uh, went and had lunch and had no idea what was about to happen. And uh, the funny thing is, is that uh, I demoed it uh, a couple weeks after that, and I and I called that record producer and said, "Can I play you the song?" So I went by there, played it for him, and he didn't even get to the end of the chorus, and he shut it off. And he goes, "No, nah, man, I don't hear it." <laughs> and I said, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah, I, I don't hear it." I said, "Okay," and. Uh, I sent it after that to uh, Buddy Cannon, who was producing Kenny Chesney. I thought, this is perfect for Chesney. Right. I pl- played it for Buddy. Buddy said, yeah, I don't hear it. I don't think so. <laughs> and I thought, wow. You know, I thought we'd kind of hooked one, but maybe we didn't. And uh, our, our song plugger, Liz O'Sullivan at CGL, she set up a, a meeting with Buddy Cannon. She didn't know I had played it for him. She played it for him. He said, I heard that song. Who wrote that? And she said, Moose. And he went, oh, yeah, I've already heard that. Yeah, I passed on it. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, two strikes. Gary Overton. <laughs> yeah, two strikes, three strikes. <laughs> Gary Overton, who was the head of EMI uh, Publishing at the time, he, he heard it. He, he listened to songs as they got turned in. And he called me and he said, man, I heard that song you wrote, and I'm having dinner with Alan Jackson this weekend, and I'm going to get him to cut this song. And in my mind, you know, given my history of right. people cutting my songs and it falling apart, I just said, hey, man, have at it. More power to you. <laughs> when I buy it at Walmart, let me know. You know? <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he got him to cut it. And 
the, the one of the unusual things about that song as uh, I read somewhere that the the, the lifespan of a of a song from the time it's written to the time it gets recorded and actually released uh, on average is about seven years in Nashville. Right. Yeah. And so we wrote that song the end of February in 2003. Uh, I demoed it in the studio with musicians in, in a couple weeks after that in March. Uh, Alan heard it uh, the end of March. He went in the studio and recorded it the first week of April. And the first week of May, it was on the radio. Wow. And uh, it just never happens like that. It's just uh, all the stars aligned. You know? Well, it hadn't yeah. happened for you yet like that because you were getting the butter knife out and turning it backwards and trying to saw your hand <laughs> off after you found out you, you had information. And then you get two strikes from one guy and a strike from another. I mean, that's... I mean, did you did you get to do a little rubbing in at the at because the first time I ever heard hey. it, and every fan it was a no brainer. So <laughs> you know what, uh, Buddy Cannon, when the week that it went number one, Buddy Cannon called me. He's a dear friend of mine, the one who passed on it, who produces Kenny, and he said, "Hey, I just wanted you to know I remembered you pitching me that song, and uh, it ended up where it was supposed to end up." Uh, yeah. That's not an uh, excuse. So- <laughs> <laughs> no, <Yeah. laughs> come on. Well, you were. It, it would have been great either way. But now, how did Buffett end up being involved? That was all Alan. Uh, him and Buffett uh, are had been friends for a long time, and it didn't really get known around Nashville. But they were kind of secretly looking for a song that they could record together as a duet. Unreal. They had the same management at the time, and uh, they they were hang out on their boats down in the down in Florida together, and. Uh, and Gary Overton, who ran EMI, happened to know that. And so when he heard that, he went, ah, oh, that's perfect. And, uh, yeah, it just everything lined up, you know, in a way that has not. I've had other hits, but but that's there's something about that that's special, all the way from the beginning, all the way through the end. You know, oh, yeah. Everything lined up. I love it. I love it. We're talking to Jim Moose Brown. You know, Moose, you brought up something a little while ago, how you ended up starting to write songs. You're in a session and you're playing. And as a session player... Now that you're a song, bona fide hit songwriter, and you were a session player before, when you were going in and playing on songs and creating hooks and, you know, basically giving a song that taking it to that extra level, did you ever feel like maybe that the musician was being overlooked when it came to the writing of a song? Um, and, and now that you're a songwriter looking back, how do you feel if you were feeling like maybe that was the case? I, you know, it never really hit me that way. I've heard other musicians say that, but I was just always grateful just to be in the room. You know, I was getting to live out a dream. And, and you know, a lot of people listening may not understand how it works, but a lot of times uh, as a session player, we get called to come in and record these songs, the songwriter wants them to sound as close to records as they can sound so they can pitch them to, to Alan or George Strait or Reba or whoever. And they want them to sound like one of their records. And so uh, a lot of times what we listen to when we get to the studio is just a guitar vocal when they wrote the song. And so it's kind of up to the musicians to come up with all the signature musical right. hooks. And we help them with the arrangement. And we... and. Uh, and uh, I never really felt like uh, that I was missing out, you know, helping write the song and getting credit for that. I, I just was always glad to be in the room. But I guess there is something to be said for that, because I know a lot of musicians who feel that way, that, that they really should get songwriting credit. I just, uh, 
Mm-hmm. I never dreamed of being a songwriter. I always dreamed of being a musician. So well, I was fine yeah. with the way it was. Well, you're both. You know, you don't get to you don't get to pick your dreams a lot. You know, I had a dream last <laughs> night that our daughter deciding on what college she's going to. We've gone to Georgia, Tulane, Arkansas. We're doing the whole run. She's in the whole food science thing, and I would kind of she go. I've kind of been hoping that somebody would turn her down because it it it. I've been on too many road trips, and there's just drama yeah but i love it i'm and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be so sad i'm gonna be a sad dad when my baby goes when my first one went to california i was like a little baby and then uh and i just was just really emotional you know worried about every possible thing that could go wrong and then when my middle one went to Ole miss i mean he he's probably asking dad why, why and there's no tears for me i said you're right down the street i feel good you know and then, <laughs> yeah and then, and then <laughs> exactly. my, when baby girl i'm gonna probably be double double it's gonna be bad but uh anyway i can't imagine my my kids are grown but they're close by so i can't imagine yeah. especially a girl I, i've got two boys so but you just probably worry about i would worry yeah. about my girl a little bit more probably yeah you know she's she wants to go some places different that maybe mom or dad didn't go and they're nashvilleians i mean they we we transplanted them down to the delta and just like you where arkansas seeped in quick uh you know the culture uh it it did with our oldest son who's a filmmaker and he's out in hollywood now and then and you know he's grinding it out and he's and but it was the delta that gave him something else that's something and uh and you know small town greenville versus nashville and franklin and all that and so that changed his you know his path and for the better and then you know it just our daughter's big into she's big into cooking and the whole culinary thing and all that and food science and all that so but i don't i don't know if mississippi's necessarily going to be home our middle son had a big basketball career for a high school kid you know and it was successful and his friends and he wants to be a doctor now because i've made him do that because he had no other passion but around <laughs> ball he's really smart in school i said you're not you're not wasting that mind buddy so anyway yeah. uh anyway yeah. I, think, I think he's buying in but he could be the one that could come back here because of uh he had more of a normal life that was successful so anyway i'm just thinking of a normal high school life and my daughter's had that a lot as well but just thinking about home and and your our kids has just always been obviously uh you know hey our, our our clock is ticking but uh i'm glad we're get to say that uh we get to wake up and say that it's still ticking <laughs> yeah absolutely a, a non-clicking talk a ticking clock is uh not good <laughs> that means that means it's time to lay it down i'm not ready to lay it down yet i'm not just ready <clears throat> yet either we're with jim moose brown he's out with bob seeger and uh you're in the mississippi minute we're going to conclude this crazy conversation. It's only half past 12, but I don't care. You don't care. I don't care. It's five o'clock somewhere. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Steve Azar, I'm with Jim Moose Brown. Jim, let's let's talk about some sessions you're working on. I think I saw you working with our girl Heidi Newfield. What's going on uh, currently as far as your production uh, world? Well, a few years ago, uh, I built a studio out of my house, and uh, the the main goal was to uh, overdub on people's projects. A lot of times, people would want to send me tracks to overdub keyboards on. I just kind of overbuilt the studio, and I made it big, and 
and uh, where I can track a full band out there. And, and my oldest son, Jeremy, came along and is a great engineer. And oh, so wow. I, I use him to engineer most of everything that I do. And my younger son, Josh, he plays guitar and he's, he's awesome. And and so we, we all, the three of us get to work together quite a bit. But uh, Heidi reached out to me a while back. I had played on all the Trick Pony records through the years, and which was her band. And, and she said, you know, I just kind of want to go a different direction. I want to do this solo project. I haven't done one since, like, uh, Johnny and June in 2010, you know, that she did mm-hmm. with Tony Brown. And she said, I, I want to do something kind of uh, Americana-ish, maybe uh, like twangy Texas Gary Stewart meets Delbert McClinton, funky yeah. and twangy. And uh, and so we've, we've had a blast. And she's singing her tail end off, and we cut, she found some great songs. We wrote some great songs and uh, just had a blast. And we're about to get that finished up. And I'm also working on a, uh, a project for a young man named uh, Mo Pitney, who's on Curb Records. And uh, I'm just about to get him finished up as well. And if you haven't heard Mo, he's unbelievable. He's, he's, he's a really, truly great country singer, but he's got a lot of depth. He's, uh, he's in his mid-20s, but he's a student of country music. And I remember one day we were writing, and he said, you know, I want to write a song like... Uh, that Roger Miller song, uh, Husbands and Wives, from the 60s. Wow. And I said, who, who your age even knows of that song? You know? <laughs> so uh, this this kid's the real deal, and we I think we've cut some great stuff on him, so I'm excited about both of them. Are you spending a lot of time in the studio still with our boy Frank Rogers and Brad and everybody? Is it constant? You know what? I don't see Frank that much anymore. He's still producing some. Uh, I don't think he's producing Brad anymore. I played on a lot of Brad Paisley records with yeah. Frank. Uh, and sometime back, I think it was probably about three or four years ago, Brad decided he kind of wanted to, uh, do some things different and use his band when he, when he recorded his records, which I think is very cool, you know? Yeah, me too. To help you sound, uh, you know, because the thing that people listening might not know is, generally speaking, in Nashville, most of the records that come out of Nashville are cut with the same musicians working in different combinations. Exactly. So there's probably, 10 to 15 drummers, bass players, keyboard players, guitar players, and we all work together in different combinations and play on everybody's record. And uh, Brad wanted to use his band. He's got some great musicians in his band, and although the process might take a little bit more time mm-hmm. uh, because the, the session guys are really quick, we've just done it so much for so long, uh, it's going to help him sound a little bit different. I think that's awesome. I actually think we need more of that. So, all right, so after the Seeger tour... After everything's said, now you're just going to get back and grind it. And are you still doing? Is are writing deals the same since I've left? Uh, you know, I've had my own publishing for quite a while. I wanted it that way, and it's been good. Uh, for you, um, do you still need an active publisher? Are you still in that game, like just like that, showing up and doing a little few days writing? Or uh, I'm I'm really not. I I was with CGL Music, which Frank was one of the right. owners of that company, and Brad Paisley and Chris Dubois, Dubois the three right. of them on that company. And uh, I was with them for 16 years. And, uh, you know, the business started kind of changing a few years ago. And I left. Uh, it was my idea to leave. I just wanted to shake things up. And it's it's getting harder and harder to make a living in the music, in the songwriting into the music business. And so I'm a little bit more selective with my songwriting now. And I've kind of shifted over into production a little bit more. And so I'll write for projects that I'm working with, but I don't go in and, and and write every day like I used to. Uh, and I don't go in and do recording sessions for other people quite as much as I used to either mm-hmm. by choice. I just, uh, 
the music the music is fine. The music business is fine, but it kind of took a turn a few years ago, and uh, uh, it's become a little bit more formulated and a little bit more uh, less human sounding to my ear. Right. And uh, I actually played on a few hit records that I that I I didn't really care to listen to, and and I thought, you know, I I, I don't want to just make music just to make money. I want to make music to feed my passion. And so I've been a little bit more selective with what I involved myself in the last few years. And, and I've been a lot happier because of that. I mean, I mean, that's the way that we got to end this because that's what it's all about. That's why you did it in the first place. I appreciate you, my brother. We've been with Jim Moose Brown and uh, you've been in a Mississippi Minute. You guys have a, a blessed weekend. Later on. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. Thousands of Bulldog fans have subscribed to the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Have you? On each episode, Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman give you an inside look at your Mississippi State Bulldogs. The Thunder and Lightning podcast is free and available on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Thunder and Lightning on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thunder and Lightning from Supertalk Mississippi. Covering the Bulldogs like no one else. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.